this is Reverend Colette Duval-Pondella. Welcome to our Wolf Wisdom Podcast in Nature's Classroom on Nature's Path. Today I have Cochise joining me. He's a beautiful Mackenzie boy. He's an amazing spirit. He's so sweet and so loving and he's so protective of his sisters. And um, he keeps growing and growing and growing all the time, which is why I asked him to join me for this talk, especially today. Feel something new. Good morning, everybody. <laughs> Welcome to our Wolf Wisdom Gathering. This is Cochise. I know, Cochise actually means wood, but I remember it from an old movie, you know, the Cochise movie, the Apache Chief. And um, uh, I always um, find it funny because Chuck Connors was playing <laughs> Cochise. For anyone who doesn't know who he is, he was the rifleman, you know, a blonde and blue Cochise. <laughs> <laughs> he had a red bandana, and um, I knew because of the Mackenzie line that these guys would be, um, I'm going to just let him do what he wants to do. Um, I knew from uh, their line that they would have red in them, and of course I had this name picked out, and he just, the first time you saw him when he was first born, he was like this incredible, solid you know, and especially since the word means wood, he was so grounded. Do you know what I mean? Of all of them, you know, it's like he was the most earthy. He was the one that I could say, this is definitely Cochise. And um, it turns out that he ends up being the surviving male of the whole puppy pack. So he's one male and five sisters, you know. And he's here, you can see him. He goes wherever dad goes. Um, both dads, as you can tell. <laughs> um, but the name of my talk today is called Feel Something New, and it comes from um, a lyric in one of the songs that um, Greg is going to sing today that he wrote. And um, Cochise is seven years old. Now they'll be eight in May. And um, every week on Saturdays, we do these uh, programs where people come and they learn about the wolves. And um, Cochise is getting better and better and better at having a little independence and going and meeting people without his dad. And I've just been noticing it in the just like the last six months, right? That he, he would just jump on the table. Usually this table is over here and he comes to the table and we call him the secret service because he has to see everything that's going on out there. <laughs> he never joins in the mix. He's always just looking to see, is everything okay? Who's coming? And he's protective of his pack in that way. But lately, he's been running to the table, looking, and then jumping off and following Dakota, and then kind of venturing off a little bit on his own. You know, and I've been noticing this thing, this new thing in him, this, this curiosity to kind of just step out of his comfort zone and away from his pack and kind of meet individuals. And so that's why I chose him today. So he keeps learning something new. Which I think in, in this world, what we're looking for is something new every single week, something new every single day that is going to shine a light on our hope. It's going to shine a light on something that we can hang on to to just make our lives better. And I think all of humanity in that way is just looking every single day 
for a reason to continue, a reason that makes us feel good about being alive, a reason that makes us feel good about being with each other and continuing to love and continuing to go after your dreams, which is what I'm all about here. And I want to tell you a little story of him, too. He's intensely protective. Even though when you see him, he looks like he's shying and cowering away. Do you know what I mean? Part of that is that protectiveness. Do you know what I mean? Making sure nothing happens. Backing up to see what's going on. Um, <laughs> but he's lightening up a lot. When we first moved here, I just want to tell you something about him. When we first moved here, um, part of the reason, one of the, the objections we had to taking this property, uh, one was the great that it had a fence here, but we were really close to neighbors. So we wanted to find land if we had to have 10 acres or more that they could just run freely on and we didn't have to worry about them. And of course, we can't do that here because we have neighbors with dogs, we have neighbors with dogs, we have neighbors with dogs. <laughs> yes, <laughs> horses, you know. So um, in order to be okay with our neighbors, it's been, you know what I mean, it was quite risky to come here and take this venture on with this property in particular. Um, but we have a neighbor that has and raises cats and animals and stuff for film and television. And when we first met him, you know, there was a kind of an ego thing. I just, you know, he just kind of had to kind of come and brag, and, and um, it was really difficult. He wanted to hire Allie, he said, for a photo shoot with a little Red Riding Hood thing, but um, he doesn't allow owners to go. Like, we would ever take Alaska, <laughs> our alpha female, and send her away with a perfect stranger <laughs> to go away for the day on the set. Like, that would ever happen. No, no. you know, of course not. And of course, in our conversation, we let him know that, you know, we do our trainings on Thursday. And Thursday, when we do training day, that was at a time we would take, you know, we have our training tools and we have our catch lines and we would take the entire pack. And at that time, it was 10 because Shadow was still with us. And um, we would just run them around the property and they would go running and it was really great. Well, he decided on this Thursday, now this was the second Thursday in the row that he did this, he decided to walk his eight to 10 pack of little squeaky toy dogs and medium-sized dogs and big-sized dogs by himself, by the way, on leashes down the street while we have the wolves out. So you can just imagine. <laughs> Just imagine their response to all these dogs and the dog's response to all of them. And as he passed, I'm, say, I'm trying to wave him off to tell him to turn around. And he just comes boldly forward with his dogs. Now there's a fence, thank goodness. But they can jump that fence in two seconds. And if you know anything about wolves, they can jump. They can leap to high places. <laughs> so we were able to whistle train these guys. That's how good they are. And we got all of them over to the pond. Dakota, Alaska, Shadow, all of the puppies came running with us. We go the different direction away from danger, and that's in their nature, except Cochise. 
except Cochise. And it's just the two of us. It's just Paul and myself, right? We're whistling. Cochise, come whistling. And he's not budging. He is on that fence, on those dogs, all the way down there until the guy finally decided to turn around and come back the other direction and get it all started again. And we still had all of them out here. Now, believe me, two people cannot hold on to and catch line, you know, 10 Alaskan Timberwolves. So we had them because that's how good their training was. And so it was a beautiful day on that level that we got to see that our training really works, except Cochise. So Cochise <laughs> turns around and these people are running He's running his dogs. They're running him, basically, down the street here. Cochise is all the way down to the corner, follows them all the way to the end of the property and beyond, and then comes running back to us at the pond with this smile, like, look what I did. I took care of the pack. They're all gone. And he was so proud of himself. <laughs> And it made me think of a little bit of what I'm going to talk about, about how the brain works. You know what I mean? It's like he went into his lizard brain of protecting his pack. That fear flight thing, do you know what I mean? All he saw was outside invaders. He's got an entire pack to protect. And he went and zeroed in and he made sure that his pack was safe. And he did not come back to his pack till he knew that there was no danger anymore. So I just, there's a lot, you know, there's our diehard wolves that we kind of show up with every week, you know, that um, I tell you their stories. And some of them just, you don't know their stories on this level because he hates to come. I have to bring Dakota because he can't come by himself. But look at that boy. Look at that boy. And how shy he seems and yet how powerful that day was. So I'm going to talk about that today. Khalil Gibran says, ever has it been that love knows not its own depth until the hour of separation. <sighs> so while you sit in your chairs and you pet the wolf, <laughs> just relax into that chair. You know, breathe into your feet. You got here, you don't have to hold on to yourself. Let the chair you're sitting in hold you. Mother Earth has the chair. You can't fall. So just breathe out anything that does not belong to you today. And this idea of knowing, no matter what your personality is, just like Cochise, that you are here, you are solid, you are on the Earth, and your uniqueness is special and wonderful and whole and complete.
that word surrender is a big word this week for me. Um, I was listening to Eckhart Tolle in the car yesterday, and um, he was talking about surrendering. And I think there's a, um, we, we have so many different kind of meanings and understandings of different words, because surrender hasn't always felt like something that um, is a good thing to do, you know? It sounds like acquiescence on some level. This is what Eckhart Tolle says. Watch any plant or animal and let it teach you acceptance of what is. Surrender to the now. Let it teach you being. Let it teach you integrity, which means to be one, to be yourself, to be real. So are we willing to surrender whatever that pretense is? Do you know what I mean? That was basically demanded from us. So I, when I talk about, you know, if you're not walking around as your authentic self, I'm not shaming you. I think it's what a spiritual practice is supposed to help you get back to your true spiritual self. After years and years of years to pretend that you are just like everyone else. And so if we've been socialized <laughs> and domesticated to be and pretend that we are not who we are in order to be acceptable for most of our lives, then any kind of spiritual practice is supposed to help us break that down and not surrender to something that is um, bad for us but to surrender ourselves to our own authenticity. That's why the wolf wisdom is so important, you know? They don't know how to pretend to be anything else but what they are. I mean, look, look at them. If you can turn around and just <laughs> see. <laughs> <It's like laughs> Dakota's completely and totally relaxed. He hasn't got a care in the world. And Cochise is hiding in the corner. I know, big boy, do you want to come up and say hi? I know, you're okay. I did, I said your name. Look how good he is, I just said his name. Do you want to come? Come. Nope. <laughs> Go stay with dads, the two dads. So we find that endearing. If he was a person, what would we think? Would we have an opinion that he's weak, that he's shy, that he can't be counted on? Do you know what I mean? What if I was embarrassed that he didn't come to me? You know? What does that say about my technique as a trainer? You know what I'm saying? I know, you're good. Good boy. Hi. This is just to give him something new. Do you know what I mean? To reassure him nothing's going to happen to him up here. How many new things do we give ourselves like this? You know, to break through to something new. To learn something. Go to that. Go. Go, go, go. Good boy. <laughs> Good. Just something new every single day. Something new that your heart wants to do. Something new that is telling you to just step out of your comfort zone. 
and feel more of the authentic person that you are. Eckhart Tolle also says this, resistance keeps you stuck. Surrender immediately opens you to the greater intelligence that is vaster than the human mind. And it can then express itself through you. So through surrender, often you find circumstances changing. He, d he did talk about this mirror image. You know, it's like whatever you see in the mirror, if you're resisting whatever is there, like, do you know what I mean? And not, I'm not just talking about what you look like, but you just, just think of anything that you're looking at as a mirror image that you're trying to affect, change, you know what I mean? Fashion, move out of your life, get rid of, you know? And the resistance to this thing that ha is in your, you know what I mean, in your vision, resisting that it's, that it is what it is and what it is what you're seeing is futile. The acceptance of the vision, no matter what it looks like to you, and I say this all the time, you know, despite appearances to the contrary, nothing that you see out there changes who you are innately. It changes your psyche, maybe. It changes your experience. It changes your fear level. It changes your trauma level. There's all kinds of things that happen to you. I'm not saying that you are not affected by what happens out into the outside world. That would be ridiculous. You know? What it does not change is the essence of who you really are. And that's our job to make sure stays intact that gets strengthened, just like bringing Cochise up here to show him he doesn't have to be afraid of this. And then we don't make him stay there past his comfort zone. He gets to go so that it's baby steps. Now he's relaxed a little bit more. That's our job to help them through that. And it's our job to help us and each other to find our own authenticity do you know what I mean? And leave ourselves alone enough that we can surrender to who we really are and live the lives that we were meant to live. Despite what's happened in the past, despite what's happening out there now, despite what might happen in the future. Because there is no joy in those speculations. There's no joy in going back into those places. So I brought back this lesson. I talked about it last week, and I just find it so relevant today. Because why is it so difficult? And then I, I, remi I was reminded about the amygdala. You guys know what the amygdala is? <laughs> when you learn about the amygdala, sometimes you don't kind of believe that we are perfect, whole, and complete in creation because this amygdala, this lizard brain of ours, which is what they call it, that reacts to, you know, it's our, our fear, flight, pleasure, you know, all, it's just a very base brain, right? However, this is how it works. It is the emotional core of your mind. The one that responds and reacts out of instinct 
Do you know what I mean? Reinforced by um, events. Do you know what I mean? And um, it tells you how you're supposed to feel, what you're feeling, and it's real. Not only is it real, but it is where you get that pump of adrenaline that tells you that exactly what you're feeling is, is even more real than you want it to be, you know? It is the same part of the brain that responds to, to a physical threat. It also will respond to an intellectual one. Biologically, we are wired to react to threatening information the same way we would react to being attacked by a predator. So somebody tells you something that is against your belief system and you react to it as though a bear is in your living room. Right? How are you supposed to change and feel something new? <laughs> and learn new things if this is our resp first response. This is our first response. Core beliefs are entrenched in our being inflexible, rigid, and incredibly sensitive to being challenged. And that usually develops from childhood, and so that means that we've got 7.5 billion people carrying around their beliefs like precious gems wrapped in a hand grenade. So when Eckhart Tolle says, just look in the mirror and surrender. <laughs> That's what we're up against. The amygdala. Depending on what those core beliefs are, depending on how you were raised, depending on events that happened to you that solidified a belief system in, the, in you that you've been trying to recover from your whole life. Whoa. And then there's this backfire effect. <laughs> Here's the misconception. When your beliefs are challenged with facts, you alter your opinions in, and incorporate the new information into your thinking. Well, you would think, right? Here's the truth. When your deepest convictions are challenged by contradictory evidence, evidence, your beliefs get stronger. Whoa. Wow. Think about that. So every time that you think there's a bear in your living room when somebody tells you something that challenges your core belief system, do you know what I mean? Are we supposed to, what are we supposed to do? Believe our bodies, our emotions, everything that our mind and, and our and adrenaline, and when you want you to talk, your tail underneath you and run from that information? Or do you want to check it out as though it's something new? Something that might be a benefit to you. Before you go head and dive right head into, <laughs> you know, into this nothingness that keeps you unhappy. And I have found that that's why spiritual practices are a lifetime. That you don't just take a class and get spiritually awakened and life is all fabulous and wonderful, you know? That it takes a process because this is what we're dealing with. This is what we're dealing with. And you can't read this information 
And as an educator, you know what I mean? I read the information and I find it unfathomable. You know, unbelievable that if you're shown evidence that you don't accept it, right? And yet every time I see a snake, it doesn't matter what kind of snake it is, it's a rattlesnake. <laughs> literally, I mean this literally. There was a big gopher snake in their enclosure one day. I'm looking out the window and this noise is coming out of Wakan that I have never heard before. <laughs> I now call it the stranger danger howl, you know? <laughs> Freedom's on the whole other side of the enclosure and Wakan is challenging it. Now I'm at the bathroom window all the way across from the house and I'm yelling to Mary, you know, call Call Paul, call Paul, ah, call everybody. There's a rattlesnake in their enclosure. Like, I'm going to do something about a rattlesnake in there, right? I have the snake poles, I have everything. And of course, I'm looking at it and I see a rattlesnake. It's not a rattlesnake, it's a gopher snake. But that's not what I saw until I saw the gopher snake. And I find myself very you know, presented with evidence to the contrary. I still saw a rattlesnake. And then I have to process that for myself. Do you know? I'm an intelligent woman. <laughs> I've seen the difference between the two. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? And yet, that lizard brain, that amygdala of mine, created snakes that don't exist in my backyard. that a, to a po certain point, I'm laughing about it now, could be very dangerous if I'm not seeing what's actually there. So my freak out, which I did, I freaked out, you know? And then I have to calm myself down. So sometimes, you know, this is a great analogy. <laughs> After hearing this story, just kind of treat everything new, you know, treat factual evidentiary evidence new. No matter what you look at, do you know what I mean? If it looks like a rattlesnake, maybe just look a little, step back and look a little deeper. Because your amygdala is telling you something that it is for your own protection. Do you know what I mean? Just like Cochise running up and down that fence. You know, we have that in us. That freak out was out of protection for my animals. It wasn't wrong for me to react. There's no reason to beat myself up because I imagined a rattlesnake where there was none. You know? It is to know the information. It is to know yourself. It is to take some kind of perspective to see things new. And I find that it's really hard to do under these circumstances all the time. Jody Picoult says this, once you, hand, once you had put the pieces back together after an event, even though you may look intact, you were never quite the same as you'd been before the fall. 
We're all recovering from some fall. Even the ones that we don't remember, you know? Pre-verbal times in our lives where we can't articulate what we're feeling and yet it's taken over our entire bodies and we don't have any association to it because we can't remember. We can't remember that time. And our nature is to go, God, I, I, what is wrong with me? You know, what is wrong with me becomes then this, you know, trek and this avenue down into the depths of your, you know, beingness to figure out what's wrong with me. And sometimes it's just to know that things have happened to you. And that if you're feeling it and experiencing it on whatever level you're experiencing on, like the snake, you know, then just pay attention to it. Remove yourself to observe it in a, in a way that's loving. Surrender to the truth of it, right? Then see what you want to do now. See how you want to handle yourself now. See how you want to choose now. Now that's hard work. Because you got to go to work, and you got to make dinner, and then you got to pick up the kids, and you got to throw them in. And there's, there's all these things, these distractions that keep us from being able to get through that moment. Do you know what I mean? Without coming home and anesthetizing it in some way. You know, which is what meditation sometimes is for. You know, it's like all spiritual practices are to help you, help you kind of get where the wolves are. To just relax and be for a minute with yourself. And just take another look and see if there's something new there. There's this thing called heart math. Isn't that cool? Heart math. Heart math deems that integral elements of the model for who we are and what we can be are thoughts, feelings, and intentions we have every single day. After two decades of studies, heart math researchers say other factors such as the appreciation and love we have for someone or the anger and anxiety we feel also influence and can alter the outcomes of each individual's DNA blueprint. So, let's see if I can articulate this science in a way. How <laughs> that works. They did three different studies with DNA, right? And they found out that our DNA is connected. So basically, they took your DNA, they took somebody's DNA, and they put it in another room. You're in this room, and then they have a little petri dish with your DNA in another room, right? And then they looked at it under a microscope. And whatever you were feeling, thinking, whatever was happening to you in the other room, your DNA in the other room was responding. Think about the ramifications of that. <laughs> then they decided maybe if you did even a longer distance, right? So one of the experiences, they took it 50 miles away. You took your DNA 50 miles away, put a microscope on it, 
gave you some stimulus, put you through some, you know, memories, intellectual ideas, thoughts and feelings, and your DNA 50 miles away responded. Whoa! <laughs> Whoa! I mean, they're just touching on this now. Do you know what I'm saying? So when somebody says take responsibility for your life and your actions and the way you feel and how you're going to respond to the rest of the world, they mean it literally. Now, who wants to cut and run knowing that you're whatever you think, feel, and believe is actually having an impact through your DNA out in the world? I don't want to be responsible for that. <laughs> I don't know about you, but you know what I mean? I'm not perfect. <laughs> I drive in traffic. Like, what, are they crazy? <laughs> Every thought, feeling, animosity, loving thought, all is impacted by my DNA out there, out there. Now, I don't have children, but some of you who do. They have your DNA. Whatever you do affects them. Think about it. Whatever your parents did. <laughs> Whatever your parents are doing right now, way over in, in Ohio, in my case, is happening to me. Dang, Dang is right. <laughs> wow. The effect of DNA on our physical world is real. Oh. <sighs> So if we're living in a world, think about it, if we're living in this world where we have to pretend in order to be accepted, if we're living this world, do you know what I mean, where man's inhumanity to man continues on this level, do you know what I mean, that we don't understand that every human being, I don't care where you are, I'm sure they wake up every single day and want exactly what we want. They want to live a day that has some joy and laughter and love in it. They want the best for their families and their children and their lives. If they're going to be here anyway, don't we just want to be happy? And yet we rail against ourselves in our minds. We rail against what's happened to us in the past. We rail against each other for not measuring up to our expectations. And we continue to do it in this mirror, you know? where that image feeds this image, and this image feeds that image. And we're so wound up by the end of the day, we just, we don't believe in anybody or anything anymore. We got ourselves so wound up in the unconscious effect of our amygdala from outside stimulus, which is why the spiritual practice is so important to remember who you are. I say it all the time. You cannot affect the way your DNA expresses itself out into the world if you don't know how precious you are. It might take a lifetime to get that. More and more and more and more in the cells of your body every single moment until we leave this plane of action. 
And only you know what your hurts have been. Only you know where your mind is going. Only you know how you're being affected emotionally by whatever is going on. So only you can change and see something new and understand this evidence that we have seen that you have an impact on this world in a way that is bigger than I ever even imagined. And to take that new information and to know that, how incredibly powerful does that make us then? So in those moments where we feel overwhelmed that we have no impact on the world, that nothing that we do is gonna matter, right? That's not possible. It's physically, biologically, intellectually, there's evidence to the contrary that that is not possible, that you do not have a major impact on the world while you're here. It's not mathematically possible. We now know that. So now we get to decide. Now, Eckhart Tolle does say, it is, it is useless to hold yourself responsible for, um, you know, the, the that new age thing of take responsibility for your life. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? <laughs> I just always have heard that as, the, you know, another way to beat myself up. Because if I, you know, if I'm in my current situation and you're in a lot of pain and somebody says, well, it, you're responsible. Do you know what I mean? How helpful is that? You know? There's no healing to that statement. Do you know? You just, there's another thing to rail at in the mirror. You know? This is like, take your opinions and go. You know? Not helpful. <laughs> he says, if it happened, there's no necessarily going back and figuring out what different choice that you can make. The only thing you can do is see if you can make a choice today. What choice can you make now knowing that your DNA will affect whatever you decide? I mentioned last week the Native Americans, everything they touched, everything they made. Every time they dealt with a child, they understood that the ramifications of all of their choices and how they behaved would affect seven generations from them. And they lived in this mindfulness. That's a very powerful thing. On some level, their creative inner life, they knew on a spiritual level, watching nature and living that close to the earth and seeing things that we only, you know, are just learning now retroactively, you know, for the sake of civilization. But getting back to the nature of things that we do understand that we have this impact by every single decision, by every single feeling, by every single thought. Sarah Ban um, Brentnock says this, the authentic self is the soul made visible. Isn't that what you are? You don't have to actually, I was about to say, isn't that what you want to be? You already are. There is no getting to that. That's exactly who you are. 
Meredith Monk says the inner voice has both gentleness and clarity. So to get to authenticity, you really keep going down to the bone, to the honesty, to the inevitability of something. Would we have this song if somebody hadn't experienced the pain of what he was talking about? Right? There's poetry in our pain. It can be turned into something beautiful. You know, our pain gives us an avenue to each other to relate to, that we're not alone in this experience, you know? It's a way to see something new, to see pain in a different way. We all embrace music for that reason. Jeffrey McDaniel says, I realize there's something incredibly honest about trees in the winter, how they're experts at letting things go knowing that it'll all come back in the spring, you know? We're like, our leaves are falling! Our leaves are falling! <laughs> every single year, you know what I mean? It would be like a tree panicking every single year. My leaves are falling! My leaves are falling! What am I supposed to do? <laughs> Let them go. Something new is coming in its place. You, you will be renewed. When trees burn, they leave the smell of heartbreak in the air. If you've ever been or lived through a fire, we were part of this powerhouse fire four years ago. Never been so sad in my life. And I was in New York during 9-11. But what happened out there? Do you know what I mean? happened out there, that burning and the aftermath and the ash, you know, the end of life was permeated throughout this whole property in our consciousness for over a year. Talk about wanting to run. Paul said, find us another place to live. You know, and we got through it. We healed from it. But that's where we wanted to go. A broken heart bleeds tears, real tears. This is not something to run from. This is something to know about yourself. This is something to know how sensitive and beautiful you are, how compassionate you are. It's supposed to be a measure of how you have this capacity to love beyond what you think you can. It connects us to each other. The emotion that can break your heart is sometimes the very one that heals it. Believe me, when my first marriage ended, I was 24 years old, and it shook when you talk about the amygdala and every belief system and everything I had in my core of my being. I cried every day for two years, and I know this because I kept asking every single day, when am I going to stop crying? So I could measure it. Do you know what I mean? I had to find a new way to think, or I was going to perish. And some people perish because they just go on with it. Do you know what I mean? Luckily, I had inside of me this feeling and this need in, to overcome it. And it was excruciatingly hard. Because I had to build a new 
a new belief system, a new core belief system in order to get through it. And I didn't want to know that there was another way, that you don't get married for life. Do you know what I mean? I didn't want to know that. That was my belief. I chose that. I trusted it, and it fell out from underneath me and took every part of everything I could believe in and what I believed on every level in my life. So much so that it wasn't until 30 years later that I ever tried again. 30 years of my life trying to overcome what that did to my amygdala. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? I'm not the only one, you know what I mean? It's not a tragic story, I'm here. You know, the life that I led between those 30 years got me here. There was a lot of joy, there was a lot of pain, there was a lot of confusion, there was a lot of dedication. I found out what I was made of, just like Cochise. You know? The thing that healed me was to become my authentic self more and more and more each day. Reaching down to the bone and asking more honesty of myself. And being, and having the courage enough to stand up and go, this is who I am. <laughs> is it okay? <laughs> you know? It's pretty incredible what we are and what we can be. Ralph Waldo Emerson says, insist on yourself, never imitate your own gift you can offer with the cumulative force of a whole life's cultivation, but of the adopted talent of another, you have only an extemporaneous half possession. Something new is what we're gonna hear now. It's a new song, and it's called Something New. <laughs> so bring him back.
to noise in you become music again. <laughs> and Eckhart totally says this also, only the truth of who you are, if realized, will set you free. <sighs> Thank you so much, everybody. Namaste. Wow. Anyway, um, I love science, if you can tell. <laughs> I, I'm still very, very moved by this information. And you know this reminder. Um, it's funny, I'm going to just add this in, but I remember while I was researching this, there are certain cultures, like the Chinese culture, that they knew that the DNA was stayed behind after death. So the way they buried their dead was to... In, in a way and in positions that would then help their future generations and everyone they left behind them. So this is not necessarily, you know, it's not new. That doesn't, you know, it just gives you evidence that, that they understood something about this DNA thing that we're just like catching up to. And then there's evidence to support their cultural beliefs in a way that's just fascinating to me. Thank you so much for joining us today. If you like what you heard and you think it is of benefit to you and with others, please share this podcast with your friends and your family. Also like us on Facebook at Wolf Wisdom Gathering and Shadowland Foundation. Um, you can also check out our website at shadowlandfoundation.org and um, we appreciate any donation that you would like to share with us. They are all tax deductible. So please help us. That would be great. Have a blessed, blessed week. And we'll talk then. And what the